the Moving Forward Task Force of the Academy of Neurologic Physical Therapy, a component of APTA, is bringing you this interview with Dorian Rose on essential competencies in entry-level neurologic physical therapist education conducted by Parm Paget. The views or opinions expressed are those of the individual creators and do not necessarily represent the position of the Academy of Neurologic Physical Therapy. What is evidence? Evidence provides a why behind our plan of care. For the best outcomes for our patient. Elevate our practice to best standards. Giving the patient the most optimal care that we can. Is what guides us. There's been a lot of growth in our field. Things are progressing. It's different than what we saw 50 years ago. Welcome to Evidence Elevates helping you integrate evidence to elevate the profession, your practice, and patient outcomes. A production of the Academy of Neurologic Physical Therapy. Welcome to Evidence Elevates. My name is Parm Padgett. I'm a member of the Moving Forward Task Force and a physical therapist working in outpatient neurologic physical therapy. I'm so excited to be here today with Dr. Dorian Rose, research professor at the University of Florida. Dr. Rose will be talking to us today about a recent paper in the Journal of Neurologic Physical Therapy titled Essential Competencies in Entry-Level Neurologic Physical Therapist Education. We're excited to delve into this topic and um, we will start by just having Dorian introduce herself and tell us a little bit about what she does. So welcome Dorian and and give us a little quick few lines on um, your day-to-day, what you do for work every day. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, my name is Dorian Rose. And as you said, uh, research professor at the University of Florida, we have a DPT curriculum here, and I have taught in the neurologic aspect of that curriculum for a number of years. Uh, I, we Our courses are, uh, we teach uh, the um, the three primary diagnoses of stroke, uh, spinal cord injury, and, and traumatic brain injury in, in one of the semesters of the student's second year. And then uh, a second semester is where we uh, delve into the um, Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, things of that nature, the degenerative diseases. So have been involved in that uh, for a number of years here at the University of Florida. And then just real quickly, I'll say I'm a research cell scientist at the Malcolm Randall VA Medical Center, also in Gainesville. And then thirdly, uh, Brooks Rehabilitation in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm a clinician research scientist there as well. And so conduct um, research and those entities as well. So I'm happy to be here, have been involved in the academy uh, for a number of years and um, really appreciate um, our organization. Great. Well, thank you. You sound very busy. <laughs> uh, that's um, which, true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. All right. So, you know, to focus on the paper and the development of these competencies, what was kind of the evolution of this concept? Like, where did it come from? And um, how did you guys come together and move forward to to put this stuff together so and it has been a process that it has has evolved um, as you probably know you know our academy the leadership um, meets and develops a strategic plan and so from the the 2018 to 2022 strategic plan um, from the academy 
one of their goals or one of their strategies was to improve communication within the AMPT and provide and provide um, physical therapists, um, making sure they have access to education, networking, and key resources. So out of that core strategy came a very specific call or charge, if you will, to draft core competencies for a neurologic PT education. Uh, competency-based education is has been in this field of medicine. It's relatively new to physical mm -hmm. therapy. Um, there are a few academies uh, within our profession that have uh, published their competencies and um, our leadership felt that, hey, it was time that we need to uh, join this effort and have our own um, competency-based education or start developing that. So the board of directors, the, the head of the um, education, uh, Dr. Sue Perry approached um, uh, three of us, all, uh, Dr. Nancy Fell and uh, Cindy Zablotny and myself, if we would be interested in uh, chairing uh, or co-chairing this task force to develop these competencies. So that's how it started. It was a charge um, from mm -hmm. our leadership. And then uh, this is outlined in the paper, uh, Parm, the, the three of us then met, um, yeah. used, used, used the literature, um, what has been out there, um, the World uh, Stroke, or excuse me, the World Association for Physical Therapy has competencies, our neighbors to the north, the Canadians. So we mm -hmm. looked at what, what has been out there. And then, you know, through our own, the three of us, our experience in education uh, developed or, you know, came up with... Uh, seven competence, seven domains, yeah. and then um, put a call out then to, or the board of directors put a call out to our membership for task force members. Before we go too far down that road, let's start out by just um, defining competency-based education. And how, and how is what you're talking about different than what's happening now? Good, good question. And there is a literature out on competency-based uh, education and just in brief, um, it's kind of one of those words that defines itself, <laughs> that mm -hmm. education of our students um, should be competency-based and not necessarily you need th these many number of credit hours to become a physical therapist or to graduate, or you need to spend this many hours in your uh, clinical internships <laughs> to become a physical therapist. So um, progression is opposed to, you know, number of credit hours you've earned or how much time you have spent um, in your internships. It's really, um, if you demonstrate competency, then you advance <laughs> in the mm -hmm. curriculum. If you don't dis demonstrate competency, then you then you continue. So with this, um, competency-based education allows for greater accountability, um, greater flexibility, and is really learner learner centeredness. Mm -hmm. uh, so if that mm -hmm. helps answer the question, yeah, definitely. A couple of things about competency-based education that are pointed out in the paper that I think are important to highlight are kind of like the reasons why there's an interest in going that way. And one was to ensure patient safety and educational accountability. Um, and I really, you know, that re as a clinician, that really spoke to me because I feel like, you know, that's one of the things we're really looking at when we have students in the clinic. As physical therapists, we have a responsibility. We have a charge, you know, to provide services and to do that uh, safely. And so if that, you know, and I think the best way to ensure that is for, um, you know, competencies to be, you know, to be um, delivered and 
or you know to be administered to students and then have them pass that to continue on through our program right yeah um and then the other thing that you know as as part of the moving forward task force we are charged with kind of trying to help clinicians to really utilize best evidence and de-implement things that aren't supported by evidence. And so, you know, one of the other things that's of interest about this competency-based education is the potential for it to decrease variability in practice, which we talk about a lot, you know, um, and, and seems really important. And like clinically, I see it like, you know, I'll have patients who come to me and say, well, I've tried physical therapy before and it doesn't work. I don't really know why I'm here now. Um, and so, but, you know, I think there can be a lot of variability in, in what they receive based on who they go to, which is not really what we want as a profession. Correct. Yeah. And I think, and that was, I mean, excellent point. And that is the whole, um, idea because some people might say, well, we have, you know, the APTA has put out, you know, practice guidelines. And so we don't want to really want to compete, but Mm -hmm. we just recognize like for, um, you know, for example, for specifically for neurologic physical therapy, you know, across our, um, you know, there are obviously across the hundreds of programs um, in our country, can we indeed have consistency and whether I'm teaching, you know, at a large university, at a small school, whether I have a class size of 100 or a class size of 26, are our are students um, receiving what what we've sort of deemed um, as the important domains um, in neurologic physical therapy practice. All right. Well, let's get into the domains. There are seven domains and I would like to take them in a different order, if that's okay, than what's in the paper. Mm-hmm. And basically, as I was reading, going through this and, and thinking about it, it seems like many of these domains are not just specific to neurologic physical therapy, right? So that domain seven of provider health and wellness, it's a perfect example, right? That is for all, across all of you know, whatever specialization you're, you're doing um, in physical therapy, that's something that needs to be considered. So I was, I was sort of thinking of it like, like a funnel almost like, you know, what is like really specific to neurologic physical therapy and then how to, you know, and then getting more general. And also in, in terms of curricular terms, like I feel like it could be interesting to think about it that way for people to, you know, in programs, like some of these things could be covered in their, you know, when they're learning about cardiopalm or, um, you know, just more general classes. Um, so, so that was, so I kind of like to, to just discuss it that way. Cause it, I think it makes sense. Um, so let's start with domain four, which is movement science. So, um, what is that? domain about? Sure. And uh, let me just uh, kind of go back to something you said. And that is something that we as the as the task force chairs <laughs> and the task force uh, ourselves were constantly asking, reminding ourselves, is this general or is this specific to neurologic practice? Mm-hmm. And so um, so it's true as you look at the at the domain names themselves, the seven domains, you think, well, don't all physical therapists <laughs> communicate and collaborate <laughs> or right. don't all, you know, so I certainly respect and understand that what we try to do is that when you 
look at the specific competencies under the domains. Um, for example, communication and collaboration, how um, we as neurologic physical therapists might need to communicate with a family member um, whose you know, uh, teenage son has um, suffered a traumatic brain injury, that level of communication is probably different than, um, you know, like I'll just use an example, you know, of the, the parent of a son who had an ACL injury <laughs> playing soccer. And so mm -hmm. both, you know, communication with the care provider is critical, but that's going to look different. And so anyways, we really try to um, make the competencies or just recognize the nuances or the uniqueness of neurologic physical therapy um, to do with, you know, our, this, our, this specific aspect of the profession as opposed to um, others. So we did struggle with that and had to constantly remind ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I want to just don't want to just to bring that up. So yeah. um, anyway, so regarding movement science um, in the member feedback, uh, the, you know, a common comment was, yes, th this is us. <laughs> this mm -hmm. is what we do. Neurologic physical therapist. We are, you know, our movement experts and we need to take a, conduct a, you know, both a movement analysis um, on our, our patient as well as analyze the task. And mm -hmm. those two, how, just how, just how important those two are, um, are, you know, working together. And so, you know, within, within movement science, we are referring to um, being able to apply uh, theories of motor control Okay, yeah. to to how 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 we teach our what to expect from our patients and how and how they move, um, being aware of you know contextual factors, um, both environmental factors as well as personal factors um, of the individual, um, you know being aware of the principles of neuroplasticity and can, does this apply? Can I apply those one or three or four, five principles of neuroplasticity is that how is that going to impact um, my treatment session or my entire mm -hmm. care plan for that individual being aware, although, you know, with, with neurologic physical therapy, we think of, you know, damage to or impairment in, you know, the nervous system, but that mm -hmm. these um, individuals also have, you know, a cardiopulmonary system. And so right. to be, you know, don't forget that and make sure that we are applying exercise physiology principles as well uh, to right. our treatment. So yeah. basically, I mean, movement science is how our patients move. That's really the crux of what we do and being experts in being able to analyze movement and analyze tasks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. I mean, that was the one I was like, all right, that's, that's us. That's, this, this is what we this do. This is us. Yes. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, another domain that was similar is the assistive technology and equipment domain. The competencies I feel like under that make sense. I think I'll just say two things. Um, probably, probably one is that oftentimes that, that we don't ignore this. I think oftentimes, you know, as a neurologic physical therapists, we think, well, we work with our hands and it's all about, you know, designing the exercise program and, and how we ha have our patients move. Um, so we might say, you might, you know, look askance <laughs> at a technology or equipment, but um, 
so we wanted to make sure this was added because it, it is important and it can um, obviously not not the exclusion to what we do to developing, you know, good exercise prescription using, you know, exercise physics principles and neuroplasticity principles. But um, it, it, it really is important. And because it's changing so much, you yeah. know, how what this looks like, you know, as you're teaching your students, you know, the summer of this year. It's probably going to look very different, even even next summer, or mm -hmm. you know, three years from now. So we tried to make it also. I guess I'll say generic enough that we're not tied to any specific technology, but right. just realizing um, the importance of it and the role that that we play in terms of, as we well know, you know, writing letters of medical necessity, and right. and, and I think it's just important for our students to know that because in society we're bombarded by you know, the latest version of this or the latest version of that, that, that we need to be critical thinkers. And just because a new piece of technology comes out is, and is touted as something doesn't mean that, oh, yes, well, we're going to buy that for our clinic, or I'm going to make sure my patient gets that. But to be wise, you know, it takes time, but just our, we want our students to be aware of that, um, that they need to be, you know, wise consumers and be able to evaluate um, equipment and just because something's new doesn't mean it's right, if you will. Yes, I think that's a great point. Those were kind of the two that jumped out as, I guess, the most applicable to what we do in our clinical practice on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, that and and communication and collaboration, right? Because that's kind of where you get to the documentation piece. Um, and I think that that's really important as well. Um is there anything under that domain that, that, and we've talked about a little bit, but is there anything under that domain that you think needs to be pointed out a little more? Uh, under, under communication and collaboration? Yeah. Um, sure. I, I think uh, just, I'll just, just real quickly say a couple things. I think one is uh, just the importance of, again, I would say even, I mean, throughout, throughout all, all PT practice, but maybe even more so um, with uh, the clients that we see is our nonverbal communication. Mm -hmm. Um and how we, you know, engage, and you know, and we all know, it's just the importance of how we engage with our patients. And it's, it's not just I me, mean, oftentimes, our actions indeed do speak louder um, than our words, and mm -hmm. we need to communicate non-verbally, um, we might not have the option to communicate verbally. So, and again, that's probably different than I'll say someone's coming into your outpatient clinic with low back pain. There's other communication challenges maybe there, but just that, just some of the specifics that are with this population. And, yeah. um, and, and again, I think in neurologic physical therapy, we are more likely to be working in a team environment of other health professionals, as opposed to maybe someone who's in a, you know, freestanding, um, you know, private practice. So just, yeah. you know, that important. And it's important for our students to know that, Yes, we feel physical therapies is vital and is important, but we aren't the only player in mm -hmm. how to, um, you know, respectfully communicate with others um, is just is going to be key to, um, you know, other professions buying into what we offer. Right, right. Yeah. Um, all right. And so to, to keep moving forward here, another domain that clearly spans the entire practice or should of of physical therapy is evidence-based practice. The one of the things in the paper that I think is good is kind of calling out the CPGs and the edge documents as things that might span the the breadth of a curriculum. Yeah, yeah, it, it 100%. It doesn't necessarily, 
you know, it shouldn't only exist in the neurologic curriculum. I think our idea is that when you, you know, our students probably learning about the concept of evidence-based practice, maybe even as a separate course or, you know, but we want to just make sure that when you or I am teaching, um, I'll just say our, you know, our unit on spinal cord injury or, you know, you know, our uh, set or, you know, part of Parkinson's disease that we are calling in and, and knowing what the evidence is out there. And that also that we are availing ourselves to our colleagues that have done so much work, you know, regarding whether it be clinical practice guidelines or not just, or, or the edge documents. And that's just a good way to educate sort of the next generation of therapists of what the Academy <laughs> offers and can do uh, for you. And even though, boy, you know, evidence-based, you know, looking up evidence that might see overwhelming. Oh, I can't do that. I don't have access to this, that, or the other thing. Um, a lot of the work has been done. I mean, these, you know, um, these documents need to continue being updated, et cetera, right. but there right. is work out there and, and just want to make sure that our students are aware of that and that they're availing themselves uh, to, you know, to the work that has been done and is available to them. Yeah. And this is a place where like, you know, as clinical instructors, I think it's really important to be aware of what these domains are and the competencies associated with them so that we know what the students should be coming with and, you know, are aware of or should be aware of so that we can help to promote that. And I, and I think it's a great way for clinicians as well to kind of make sure that they're staying on top because, you know, as hard as it's hard for anybody, like you were saying, to really kind of keep on top of the literature across the breadth of neurologic physical therapy, Certainly. but imagine a clinician who's busy, right. And has very little time um, to try to keep up with this is really hard. So, you know, reminding clinicians of these resources is really great as well. Good. That's good to hear. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's one reason that we want to bring the the idea of these of these competencies to clinicians so that they are aware when they have students of kind of where the field of education in neuro, in physical therapy in general is going and specifically neurologic physical therapy. Great. So, um, you know, one of the I just want to just touch very briefly on participation. Is there anything specific to neurologic education, PT education, that um, you think is important to highlight about the domain of participation? Yeah, good question. I think I think maybe two things. One, I think we we recognize um, that there we don't have um, many sort of standardized assessments. You know right. that that so you know that that's a need um you know in in the profession are uh you know how how do you how do you assess participation so there there is a need there um but i guess even though there we don't have a uh really a great concrete way or there're not a lot of measurements of that it doesn't mean that we shouldn't address that mm-hmm. and i think what's just important um and it, this is you know kind of a sensitive um you know, uh, topic, if you will, you know, I think with, maybe I'll just, you know, say I'm going to use, I'm going to use low back pain again, as my example, or an ACL repair, you know, mm-hmm. our students, and they say, well, well, of course, he's, he, he, he or she's going to go back to work. Of course, they're going to go play back to playing soccer. So it, it there's a, um, 
it kind of ecologically makes sense that that's what they're that we need to get them back to that when right. we um, have a, a a patient with a more of a you know a, a traumatic injury where it's not uh, you know ecologically obvious <laughs> that they're going to go return to work or that they're going to return to soccer um you know it's it's can be tempting you think well they're not going to go back to participating so what are we even doing here you know, right, it could be, right. let's just work on range of motion or or make sure they can transfer. And so I think participation can get sadly, tragically, <laughs> poignantly can get lost uh, mm-hmm. sometimes in in, you know, we're working with individuals who are um, with severe um, you know, mobility impairments or cognitive impairments. The other thing that can be very tricky for students, and I think not at all an entry level skill, is really understanding that when someone's had a severe trauma, traumatic event, that's it's life altering. There's a new normal, and we don't know what that new normal is yet, right? And so you you know, without the experience, it's hard to kind of project what might be a new normal for this person, and then it can be very tricky to have those conversations with patients of like you know, what is it that you really want to get back to? And and it can be, you know, very difficult. Um, and so, you know, I think that's another place where neurologic physical therapy might be different than some of the other domains of yeah. physical therapy. Yeah, 100%. 100% uh, well said. And, that, and that's why it's here. And we want to, um, you know, I guess, for for our students to be aware of how do you sensitively, sensitively, ask those types of questions or it might be let's let's figure this out together mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what you what you what you what opportunities are for you to return to when you know when it's might be that they won't be you know the midfielder back on their soccer team um how not to don't want that to be the elephant in the room you know but mm-hmm. or the or the student to like well I'm not going to go there but just right. that that's part of who we are as professionals is addressing these more challenging participation questions with some of our neurologic clients. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's two more domains to discuss and one, uh, both of them we've kind of already touched on a little bit, but one is health promotion and wellness. Is there anything to highlight in that domain? Uh, I guess I'll say the, the primary thing is to um, for our neurologic educators and therapists who, you know, love the brain and the spinal cord and the peripheral nerves and, you know, studying that, that's, uh, that, that our, our patients have uh, a cardiovascular system and mm. that it's important that our patients um, remain healthy in the presence of a physical disability. And right. we can't, um, it's just, I mean, it's just critical that that they that they remain healthy, you know. I'll say, you know, specifically for stroke, the statistic that I always give is the primary reason why someone might have a stroke is they've already risk factor for a stroke is already of having had a stroke. You know, stroke right. is not like the measles, and so that yes, maybe someone doesn't have you know full knee extension, <laughs> you know, or you know requires a, a scissor device to ambulate. Um, okay, that's. You know, maybe they don't, they're not going to, yes, I believe in neuroplasticity, but maybe that white matter, there's so much white matter damage that they're not going to get 
what we might call normal kinematics, but can I keep their heart and lungs healthy so they don't have a second stroke? What we might say, oh, make sure you get on the treadmill three times a week. That's probably not an option for a lot of our patients. Right. How can we get there, monitor their cardiovascular system, make sure that they um, are maintaining health, and which is, right. again, more challenging um, yes. and takes more creativity, but be aware of that, that um, you know, as a neurologic physical therapist, yes, getting them primarily, you know, moving is, is step one, but then keeping them moving and helping them uh, avail themselves to uh, hopefully potentially community resources yes. uh, that, that they can, the patients can remain healthy. So I think that's just yeah. the, ma- the main thing is, yeah. uh, you know, remaining healthy in the presence of a physical disability. Yeah. All right. And then, you know, the other one that we already talked about is that provider health and wellness and so important right now in, in just thinking about burnout that is so prevalent amongst so many people. And so I think this, this was the one for me that I was like, man, this spans everybody, like, like everybody in healthcare, not just physical therapists. Right. Well, I'll just say real quick. And I think we mentioned this in the, in the paper that um, in terms of the uh, the member feedback or member comments, there were, um, you know, many thanks or a lot of kudos that this was brought up that, boy, yes, this needs to be um, mm-hmm. a domain. And so just just recognizing the importance of that. And, you know, you know, the adage of if you're not healthy, you can't care for someone else. Right. Uh, and and I, you know, yes, there's I mean, I do recognize that there's, you know, burnout across across professions, across different aspects of physical therapy. Um, we just felt, you know, kind of speci- some some of those that are specific to um, to neurologic physical therapy that oftentimes we develop these long-term relationships, you know, with our patients and with their families. And oftentimes it's not like I see someone twice and then I'll never see them again, which it might right. be some other. And so that's a little, that is, that is a little bit, you know, unique um, to us. Yeah. I often think about um, clinicians that work in ALS clinic. I think that's one of the hardest places to be emotionally. Um, and so, you know, they, I feel like that's one where people really need to take care of themselves. And so we just wanted to recognize that 100%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. All right. Well, these domains are great. Thank you so much for kind of marching us through them. And then, you know, one of the other things is, um, that I thought was interesting was the discussion of, of how can this be applied beyond entry level? And so what, like, what exactly was the group thinking um, when, you know, when talking about the other uses for these domains? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. So the primary, you know, why this was developed with the charge, you know, from the ANPT board was for entry level education, but we just, as we worked on these and, you know, a number of the task force members um, had been through or either in or had been through residencies that or, um, you know, institutions or individuals that are, you know, considering starting a residency, like, mm-hmm. boy, h- how do we start? Where do we go? That that these um, domains very well would be helpful. I know a good starting place um, for them as well. And and I guess I would say, too, as you know, as a practicing clinician, yes, I'm, I'm through school, I have my license, but boy, let me look at those. How am I doing in these domains? Is there yeah. one that maybe I need to, to brush up on or then maybe that I missed in school and, and can focus on now? So we just felt that it would um, be applicable in particular to, um, 
residencies that might be starting as as a groundwork or as a base um, for them to develop from. All right. Well, Dorian, thank you so much for sort of sharing all this information and giving us, uh, you know, quick but um, comprehensive overlook at the paper. We hope people go and check it out in the latest edition of JNPT. And um, it was great talking to you. And and then as things develop, I know that there's future plans. We would love to potentially have you back and kind of update us on um, how this is going and what it's looking like for different programs. Yeah, good. I just want to just would like to say set that in closing that I just want everyone to know whether this this is the first pass. You know, mm. we were putting these domains out. And so now that you know the question, I'm sure, okay, this these are great, but like what do I do or how do I operationalize these? And for some folks, they might have, you know, oh, I have ideas. I know how to do this. And for others, it might be like, hmm, this is a great, this is a great domain. I like these competencies, but how do I, how do I teach these to my students? And so I guess I just want everyone to be aware that there is a, uh, shortly after this task force finished, another task force has sort of picked up the the baton, if you will, and are developing um, learning objectives, associated learning activities, as well as assessment strategies for these competencies to share with our membership. So um, again, and then uh, just just real quick, I think this might have been mentioned in the paper, is that we hope to do, you know, say within five years, you know, mm-hmm. do a survey, a similar member survey to see, are these being adopted or not? What are the barriers? What are the mm-hmm. challenges? Uh, so Again, um, we don't want to just leave anyone with this document and saying good luck. <laughs> right. right. An on- this was the first pass, but it's going to be an ongoing conversation um, to really recognize, to really operationalize and get these uh, domains implemented um, on our way to hopefully um, competency based education, as our profession is uh, suggesting that we do. Yeah. Great. And so there's more to come. People should sort of keep their eyes peeled toward the academy for learning about those resources and check it out on the website. I'm sure there's info up there as well, correct? Yes, yes, thank you. That's exactly right, yeah. Okay, good. Well, thank you so much, Dorian, for meeting with us today. It was fun, my pleasure. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for listening to the Evidence Elevates podcast, a production of the Moving Forward Task Force in the Academy of Neurologic Physical Therapy. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you share this podcast with a colleague today. Come back soon to listen to more episodes of Evidence Elevates. For more information, follow us on social media or find our website at neuropt.org. That's N-E-U-R-O-P-T dot O-R-G.